Well, good day, folks, and welcome to the Australia Desk for episode 293. Steve Fisher with you tonight. Not Grant McHeron. Once again, Grant is away this week uh, due to some poor health. And, uh, well, you know, actually, folks, he does actually have a day job and he's been pulling sort of 14 and 15 hour days. So in a magnanimous gesture, I've let him have the week off again. I don't know. I'm such a such a wonderful boss. But uh, that's no problem. We're going to talk a lot this week about uh, the Malaysian Airlines missing flight, which is, uh, seems to be dragging on as we record this. It goes into the fourth week. Somebody that's uh, all over this subject is the principal of communication. Intelligence and Independent Aviation and Defence Consultancy, Andrew McLaughlin. G'day, Andrew. Steve, good to talk to you. Yeah, welcome back to the show, mate. I see you've been in demand this week. In fact, uh, did I see you on the BBC the other night? Yeah, BBC on, uh, I think it was Friday night their time, so Saturday morning our time. And I was on Sky, I think, on uh, Wednesday about 3am uh, GMT, which was mid-afternoon our time. I must say uh, this uh, has really dominated the aviation news, and I guess particularly in this part of the world, as we mentioned on the segment last week, of course, uh, most of the uh, rescue efforts or the search efforts are being staged out of RAF Base Pierce over there in Western Australia, just north of Perth. Some of the uh, things that I've seen on things like Fox News and CNN have been just uh, bizarre, but uh, you know, it's it's. I guess it's something that uh, no media outlet thought would drag on this long. No, I think uh, a lot of the media outlets are running out of things to say, which is a real shame, and they're they're going over old stuff or they're dreaming up new new conspiracies, which I think to their detriment in a lot of ways. Yeah, I, I must say I did like the black hole one, but anyway, we should move on. Uh, what can you <laughs> tell us about uh, movements uh, in the last week over there at RAF Base Pierce? I suppose um, it's, it's really been a hive of activity. The P3 fleet, uh, obviously it's getting on and a bit long in the tooth, but uh, you know, just back from the Middle East area of operations, that fleet, and uh, where it served very, very well, and uh, no sooner have they sort of cleaned the aircraft up, but they're out there working hard again, looking for uh, any sign of this missing airliner? Well, the P3s have been working hard with the Operation Sovereign Borders, which is the, um, I guess, the refugee boat problem that we've had in the in the northwest. But yeah, you're right, Steve. They had they had been working very hard. I think they've had about three or four aircraft tasked to the uh, the search for the aircraft and um, been rotating crews through from uh, their home base at Edinburgh near Adelaide giving them, I think, a day off and then a day flight, a couple of days off, a day flight. So it's really dragging on, you're right. And interesting, uh, as, as this week, as the search goes on, uh, the obviously um, they've been able to spend more time, I guess, out on station because the I noticed the search area has shifted some seven or 800 kilometres closer to the West Australian coast this week. So uh, I guess that's cutting down on that four-hour transit time that they were experiencing. Yeah, that's right. You're right. The transit was four hours, which only really left them two hours on station. The P3's got more than 10-hour endurance but because it's so far from land, they had to return with a fairly substantial fuel reserve in case they lost an engine out there and couldn't cruise back at an optimal altitude or speed. So, uh, you know, in theory, they probably can have a 12-hour endurance, but they've really got to come back with a two-hour reserve. So you're right, bringing it closer to the mainland as they've done, uh, it's probably given them three or four hours on station now and only a a two-and-a-half to three-hour transit, which really makes a big difference. And the really interesting thing, I mean, there's been actually P3s from a lot of other nations coming in, but the one that fascinates me is the uh, the P3K2, the New Zealand uh, aircraft that's been in here. Those aircraft have come back from a pretty major refit and uh, just seeing some of the pictures there, they've got quite an updated uh, digital-looking glass cockpit flight deck there, so they're probably uh, perhaps even a little more capable than our own, would you say? Well, it's from the avionics point of view, you're probably right. Um, I'm not sure they've got the high-end um, electronic um, support measures that we've got, and I don't think they did a radar upgrade either. I know they, they, they've they got the same uh, electro-optical um, infrared ball turret, 
which is I think a Star Sapphire three or four. But I don't think they went with the the, the high end maritime radar or the high end um, ESM that we've got on our aircraft. And of course, the other aircraft that uh, I guess is uh, creating a lot of interest is the United States Navy have uh, been sending out uh, one or two of their um, P eight Poseidon aircraft. Now, of course, Australia recently announced that they'll be buying themselves a fleet of those to replace the P threes. It's probably uh, feasible, I guess, to say that they've probably got some Australians out on that uh, aircraft uh, having a good look at its capabilities. I mean, uh, seeing it out there actually in action uh, as opposed to training is is a great opportunity. Yeah, it is. I'm sure there'll be a lot of um, getting heads together at the end of this. I'm not sure if we've got Australians on board. I think it's still fairly closely guarded, but I know we've got Australians embedded at uh, Patuxent River, which is in Maryland in Washington, D.C., which is where all the development work is going on. So there's certainly Australians involved at that level. And because we've actually bought into the development program, we actually have a, a bit of a say on what goes on the um, the increment three aircraft, which is what we will be achieving uh, operational capability with in about 2020, 2021. So uh, I guess that there's still a lot of life left in the uh, P3. How old, do you, how old would the oldest one in our fleet be? I mean, those those aircraft sort of date back to the late 1960s, I guess. We bought two batches of P3Cs. Um, the first batch was delivered in uh, 78 and 79, and the second batch was delivered in 85, 86, and they replaced the original P3Bs we bought, which were delivered in the 60s. So our oldest airframe would be a 78 model, which is, uh, you know, th- yeah, coming up to coming up to thirty years old now. Yeah, I still think they're a graceful looking aircraft. I uh, we was looking at them at the last couple of uh, defence air shows that uh, you and I have both been to, actually, and you know they're, they're still a fantastic looking machine. They certainly are, and I know when they were doing the uh, the MMA competition, which the P eight eventually won. I know Lockheed pressed very hard and said the only replacement for a P three really is a, a, another P three, and they offered what they called the P seven, which was a, a basically a P three airframe with new engines, uh, obviously new systems on board but you know the US Navy in their wisdom went with a, a jet powered aircraft because it, it gave them faster transit times and uh, things like that and 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 they I think they saw the future of submarine hunting was going to be at medium to high altitudes rather than being down on the waves which you know is great for you know future sub hunting but not so good for search and rescue missions like what they're doing now absolutely absolutely I guess I wanted to talk to you just before we finish up uh, speaking of uh, new RAF aircraft I wanted to speak to you about the F-35 but just before I do that have you been hearing in any of the um, the circles that you sort of mixing in the aviation community with regard to, you know, this this MH370, this aircraft. I mean, it seems almost inconceivable that an aircraft as modern and as large, um, as technologically advanced as a 777 can seemingly just disappear off the face of the earth. And taking away some of the more uh, bizarre theories that we've heard about it, have you been hearing any commentary about it from a more informed standpoint from the circles you mix in? There's, there's been a bit of commentary. You know, you, you've had people coming onto the various chat sites and things like that asking, why didn't our, um, our, our gender over the horizon radar network pick it up and things like that and there are some technical explanations as to why it may not have it which are probably too long and involved to go into in this forum but I guess the, the most obvious reason is uh, the Jorn network probably isn't looking due west of Perth or up past Sumatra it's probably looking more into the Timor Sea for boats so um, even if it had been looking due west where the, where the Malaysian aircraft went there's still a chance it may not have seen it because of what they call tangential reasons which Again, a, a high-end mathematical stuff, which I can't really describe in this forum. But I, I'm sure the reason they're looking in the area they're looking now um, is not coincidental. It, it, there, there may have been some kind of information that came from a high-end sensor somewhere through back channels to Malaysia to tell them to look where they're looking now. I, I, 
I, I can't really elaborate on that because it's not something I know for sure, but th- there seems to be a lot pointing towards that. It's just the most bizarre thing. I, I have faith that eventually they will find this aircraft or, or, in the worst case, the remains of this aircraft, and it's just a matter of time, I guess, but uh, it's just the most uh, bizarre thing I've ever heard of. But uh, anyway, um, we haven't got much time left, so I just wanted to touch on the F-35. I know you're uh, you know right across that project. Um, airframes AU-1 and AU-2 uh, continue to roll down the production line over there in uh, Fort Worth. How is that project going? I noticed uh, today in the news there was an announcement made for some local production uh, for parts. Well, as far as I know, the aircraft, our first two aircraft are, are probably off the end of the production line and they're in what they call post-production, which means they go to a flight line hangar and they get, or, or I guess, uh, the f- finishing touches put on them. There's no huge hurry for them because our first two pilots aren't going to be ready until, well, first one probably won't be ready until November, December, and then the second one probably April, May next year. So there's no huge hurry yet. We've still got a bit of buffer left in our schedule. Um, but yeah, today the uh, the delivery of the first Australian-made um, vertical tails ceremony was done uh, with Morand, which is an engineering company in Melbourne. Those, uh, I think up to 700 tails will be made by Morand on subcontract to BAE Systems, which is one of the partners in the program. So yeah, some good news for local engineering firms. And uh, of course, uh, BAE Systems are very good for defence here in this part of the world. Uh, of course, they, they have quite a, a big involvement with the Australian Defence Force. And, uh, you know, this is just, I guess, another fillet of that. Yeah, certainly do. You know, they supply the Hawk trainer. Uh, they're, they're doing an upgrade on that now. I think they've got a bid in for the Air 5428 um, basic trainer and advanced trainer project. Um, they're doing bits and pieces on the P3 and on the Wedgetail E7. So, yeah, you're right. They're, they're very involved in, in the Australian defence industry and also shipbuilding as well, of course. They, they took over uh, Tenix and they, they're building the um, LHD and the and, and parts of the AWD destroyers. Yeah, and I must note with interest talking about the uh, the new um, LHD that's coming on, it's got a lovely big ski ramp. And, you know, they could probably run some of the, uh, you know, the, the Marine Corps style F-35s off that, I'm thinking, in a perfect yeah, well, world with lots of official, money. Official word, official word is that um, it's not on our radar horizon, um, but um, the current Defence Minister, Senator David Johnston, when he was opposition Defence Minister, certainly raised that prospect. So, you know, who knows what will happen in the future. I know a lot of work needs to be done to those vessels to make them um, JSF capable. At the moment, they've been configured for helicopters. So things like weapons storage, fuel storage, uh, the coating on the decks, things like that would need to be changed in order to accommodate the JSF. And we probably need, need an extra ship because you can't put helicopters and JSS on the same ship. They're not that big. Although they're bigger than anything we've ever had, they're certainly not in the size of a US uh, Navy LHD. Yeah, I guess not. I'll tell you what, though, you know, living down here in Melbourne and uh, going out to uh, Williamstown where they've been uh, putting that ship together, it certainly is an impressive sight uh, sitting out there in Port Phillip Bay. And good to see that it's out in sea trials. Yeah, well, I think, uh, H- or oh, sorry, New Ship Canberra's, if, if it's not still in Sydney, it's on its way back to Melbourne, but it came up to Sydney to put it, because it's the only dry dock in Sydney, big enough in Sydney to paint the underside of the hull and to give it a bit of a clean. And um, I, I saw them briefly when I was at the Point Cook Air Show three weeks ago as I was coming over the bridge there. They were both there next to each other. Yes, very, very impressive sight. Andrew, it's always yeah. uh, great to have you on the show, mate. We really appreciate you uh, stepping in, uh, particularly for Grant. We were hoping to have him along tonight, but uh, I guess uh, the fact that he's not here means that there won't be as much editing for me which is a fantastic thing. Andrew McLaughlin, of course, is the Principal of Communications Intelligence, an independent aviation and defence consultancy. You can find out more about them at comment.org. And uh, Andrew, thanks very much for joining us, mate. I really appreciate it. Steve, always a pleasure, mate. That's everything we have for you on this week's Australia Desk. I think we'll get Grant back in next week. Until then, I'm Steve Vischer. Cheers, folks.